This is Connected Nation, a podcast focused on all things broadband, from closing the digital divide to improving your internet speeds. We talk technology topics that impact all of us, our families, and our communities. On today's podcast, we talk with Evan Marwell, founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, a nonprofit with a mission to upgrade internet access in every public school classroom in America. Learn how the organization ultimately achieved its goal and how staff responded to the need for better access at home following school closures during the pandemic. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Connected Nation. I'm Jessica Denson, and today we're talking better connectivity at our nation's schools and in our homes where many students spent much of the year learning remotely thanks to COVID-19. Evan Marwell, who is the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, joins us today. Welcome, Evan. Hi, it's great to be here, Jessica. We are very excited to have you. Your organization has done a lot of great things. Um, And if you'll just give me a moment, I'd like to give our listeners a little background on you and the organization you started. Great. The first 25 years of Evan's career were spent as a serial entrepreneur in the telecom, software, hedge fund, and consumer retailing industries. He had some serious success in this space collectively. These businesses created thousands of jobs and generated billions of dollars of revenues and investment returns. Evan founded the nonprofit Education Superhighway in 2012. In its first three years, the organization helped shape President Obama's Connect Ed initiative and served as a catalyst for modernization of the Federal Communication Commission's $3.9 billion E-rate program, earning Evan the 2015 Visionary of the Year Award from the San Francisco Chronicle. If that's not enough, Evan is also an honors graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business School. So let's begin by going back to 2012. I did a little research on your LinkedIn profile, and you called the digital divide, quote, one of the biggest problems facing public schools in America. Share with us why you viewed it that way long before a pandemic, long before any of this time, and what led you to try to tackle such a huge issue? Well, it's a great question. Um, You know, back in 2012, uh, when I was thinking about, or even in 2011, when I was thinking about what it is I I wanted to do after having been in the private sector for so long, I started doing research on sort of what were the big trends and, you know, theories that people had about how to improve education. And almost no matter where you turned, the use of technology in the classroom was something that people were talking about. And they had all kinds of big plans for it, including in the uh, national um, ed tech plan that came out of the U.S. Department of Education in 2010. And I kept looking at these things and saying to myself, yeah, that would be great if we could personalize your learning. And yeah, that would be great if we could do virtual field trips. And yeah, that would be great if we could do X, Y, Z thing that, you know, somebody was proposing to do in the classroom. But as best I can tell, they don't have the internet access. They need to do any of those things. And, you know, that was really what led me to viewing this as, as one of the great challenges. Of course, we have many other challenges, but, but pretty much all of the strategies that people were talking about for improving education back in the 2010, 11, 12 timeframe all involved technology. And I knew from my experience of having been in the telecommunications world and having built software that if we didn't have good internet in our classrooms, all those plans were going to end up on the cutting room floor, as as they say, because they wouldn't be able to implement them due to a lack of bandwidth. 
What are some of the early hurdles or, or opportunities that you saw as you began to approach schools and school districts and, and, and leaders across the country about this issue? Was there a, an overwhelming, oh, yeah, we understand this. Please help us with this. Or was it something that needed a little more um, explanation? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good point. Um, actually, the first hurdle was people didn't actually know that we had a problem. Um, I, you know, I'll never forget when uh, in 2000 and early 2012, um, I went to the White House uh, as part of a group of CEOs and serial entrepreneurs to talk about how do we make America better with technology. And the format of the day was that first the chief technology officer of America, a guy named Denise Chopra, came in and gave a little speech. And, and then he went around the table asking, what should we do about making America better with technology. And each person had their idea. And when he got to me, and I had done some research in in preparation for this as a result of an experience my daughter had, I said, well, we got to fix the school broadband problem. And he said, what school broadband problem? All of our schools have broadband. And we have this program called E-Rate that pays, at the time, $2.4 billion a year to, uh, to fund broadband in schools. And I said, yeah. And they all have cable modems and uh, lousy Wi-Fi. And, you know, I, I have a cable modem in my house and my kids complain about how slow it is. And there's only five of us in our house. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if you're using that for 500 people in a school. And so that was really emblematic of where we were as a nation back in 2012. People thought, oh, we have broadband. And yes, it was true. 99% of our schools had broadband, but the problem was they didn't have the kind of broadband capacity that was needed to really take advantage of technology in the classroom. The, The world had moved on. The world had moved to video. The world had moved to interactive um, educational tools, but but our schools had not kept up with the bandwidth capacity that they needed to do that. So, so really educating people that there was a problem was the first challenge. And, and the way we approached that was we did something called the National School Speed Test, where we got uh, ultimately 800,000 people in 35,000 schools across the country, so almost half the school buildings in the country, to test their broadband. And then for the first time ever, we had a data set that showed the extent of the problem. And the extent of the problem was that 90% of the kids in America were in school districts and and school buildings that did not have enough internet to actually use technology for teaching and learning. And uh, you set some pretty lofty goals with that. Um, And your nonprofit met them connecting 99% of America's 47 million K through 12 students to speeds that they needed for digital learning. Talk about how did you use data and approaching a nonprofit like a startup, which I've read several things that you've said where you, you really approached it in that, in that way. Explain what, how that was different than a typical um, nonprofit. Yeah, well, there, there was a bunch of ways it was different. I think starting with, um, when, when I decided to work on this problem, the first thing I did effectively was write a business plan, right? So any startup that's going to take on an issue uh, or take on a an, an market opportunity, they, they have to do some research and figure out the business plan. And, and key to figuring out the business plan is figuring out what are the, the roadblocks, what are the pain points that need to be overcome? And, and we identified four of those. Um, the first was 
that there was an awareness problem, which I just talked about. The second was that there was a technical and procurement expertise problem in our schools. You know, our schools were not particularly good at buying broadband, whether it be bandwidth or Wi-Fi networks. The third problem was that our, our schools were paying almost seven times as much or more than seven times as much for their bandwidth than our businesses were paying. And as a result, they couldn't afford to buy enough bandwidth. Uh, to, to use technology in the classroom. And then finally, we had a policy problem, and, and that came down to the E-rate program, which was incredibly fortunate that that program exist, existed because it gave us a funding source to actually solve it. But unfortunately, the way the program's funding was being dispersed and what it was being used for was a real was not getting the job done. And so we knew we had to try to modernize that program. So, so those were the four things that our business planning process, uh, you know, started with. Um, and then data was really our secret weapon. It, it was our force multiplier uh, throughout the process. And um, we used data in a bunch of ways. So I talked about one of those earlier. You know, we, we did this national school speed test in order to identify exactly which schools needed to be upgraded and to, to make the problem concrete for policymakers. You know, what, one of the things we've learned over the last eight years is that when you have a problem that's nebulous and it's hard for people to get their arms around exactly what's it going to take to solve it, it's really hard to get people to take action. But as soon as you can quantify the problem for them and show them the specifics of what has to be done, it's a lot easier for policymakers to commit to doing something about it. So in our case, the, the, what we did is we were able to show first the, first the president, uh, then the Federal Communications Commission, and ultimately governors, whose help we needed, exactly where the problem was. And when you walk into a governor's office and you say, you've got a problem with broadband in your schools, that doesn't get them to do much. But when you walk in and you say, you have 236 schools that need a fiber optic connection, the federal government's going to put up 90% of the money to connect them. And I need you to put up $2.1 million in matching funds. Then you can get people to take action. So, so data was really important for us in helping us convince stakeholders to take action. Data was also really important for us in terms of actually driving uh, some of the solutions to those problems that I talked about, particularly the problem of school districts paying too much for their internet access. Um, as I said, school districts were paying seven times as much as businesses. They were paying $22 per megabit per month for their internet access, which at the time if you had a cable modem, would have been like you paying $500 a month for your cable Jeez. modem. Yeah, big, big amount of money. And, and yet what we saw, and, and businesses were only paying $3. And, and, and yet what we also observed, because we had the data, was that there were school districts next door to each other buying the same amount of bandwidth from the same service provider, paying four, six, eight, sometimes 10 times differences in their prices. And so what we did was we collected all the data in the country uh, about exactly what every school district was buying, who they were buying it from, and what price they were paying. And we put it on a website called Compare and Connect K-12. And that then got schools the ability to see what they should be paying. 
and which service providers they could call for deals to pay those better rates. And as a result of that, we've seen the cost of broadband go down by 90% for schools over the last five years. And it has led to a complete transformation in the number of schools that now have enough internet access to use technology in the classroom. And could you imagine right now if some of those classrooms were not connected for remote learning or for helping these kids? I know a lot of these schools have networks that even go out into the uh, district um, because we've talked to many of them over the last few months with COVID-19, which brings me to something that you and your team really responded to some action you've taken, excuse me, um, in response to the needs following the COVID-19 closure, you created something called the digital bridge toolkit. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what led to that? The fact that you went from classroom connectivity to what can we do to help address this issue of home access for kids? Yeah, what happened was we closed all of our schools and my phone started ringing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We we had never uh, really done much in the home uh, access arena, uh, what people typically historically referred to as the homework gap. And the reason was, that number one, we felt it was really important for us to stay focused on our mission of making sure the broadband in all the schools um, was up to snuff so that teachers could use technology in the classroom. But the other thing was there had never really been a sense of urgency or what I would call the the political will to solve the home access problem for K-12 students, to solve the homework gap. But when you put 55 million kids out of school uh, and you close down all the school buildings, suddenly it takes on a new sense of urgency. And so what happened on March 15th was my phone started ringing. (laughs) I got calls from DC about what should they be thinking about for policy. I got calls from state capitals, uh, from governor's offices, departments of education, legislatures saying essentially, hey, you helped us solve the school broadband problem. What do we do about this home broadband problem now that our schools are closed? And we got call from school districts saying, hey, we don't know what to do about this. Can you help? And, you know, someone um, who I respect a lot, who's uh, a leader in, in the world of social entrepreneurship, he said to me at around the same time when the pandemic was starting, he said, you know, the only question that's going to matter couple of years from now is when the pandemic hit, what did you do to make a difference? And I heard that and I got these calls and I turned to my team and I said, look, we, we need to do something. I, you know, I know this is off mission for us, but the reality is, you know, our expertise is needed right now and, and we can make a difference. And so we actually pivoted uh, about half the organization on April 1st to, to work on this problem. And and as you said, start by developing the playbook and and um, and now uh, helping states and school districts roll that playbook out. It, it's kind of a trend for you. You see an issue um, in this space that, you know, frankly, doesn't necessarily pay off for you in the pocketbook or anything, but is an issue that is affecting society or kids. Uh, what is it that is motivating you to go down this road of I, I want to help my my um my country. I want to help the kids here. I want to do more. Well, you know, I think it's really, uh, it really comes down to sort of my own sort of personal purpose in life. Um, uh, I've done a lot of work uh, trying to understand sort of like 
what is my best use in society, if you will. And what I've learned is that I'm a change maker. Uh, I'm someone who's, you know, particularly good at seeing problems, understanding how they might be fixed, and then, as my wife likes to say, actualizing it, uh, getting people to actually do something about it. So uh, whether myself, my team, or, or others. And, um, you know, I think that's just what's going on here. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough in life to have had some success in, on the business side, and that's given me the opportunity to make the decision to uh, apply my time and my talent to making a difference in the world. And I have to tell you the the I've done some great things in my career, um, loved every step of the way, but nothing in my career has been more fulfilling than the last eight years of work that we've done around solving the school broadband problem. Well, that that is quite a telling thing, a change maker. I like that. Your wife has... Um has a great point of view on it. <laughs> um, let's let, then let's move forward. Um, Education Superhighway is sunsetting um, this August. And uh, full disclosure, Connected Nation is partnering with Funds for Learning to handle um, part of the mission being carried forward through a new project ca- called Connect K through 12. Do you want to explain a little bit why you chose to sunset uh, Education Superhighway? And what do you hope to see from Connect K through 12? Yeah. Um, And I will put one little caveat in, which is that um, while we are sunsetting our original mission of uh, connecting all the schools, we, we, on August 31st, we, we are sticking around for a few more months to help some more with the the home broadband problem. So October 31st is what we think is the new date. But uh, um, yeah, you know, when we started literally from day one, uh, my vision was we're going to we're going to solve the, the K-12 broadband problem and then we're going to go out of business. And it it came from really two. Uh, and I said, we're going to do it by 2020. And that really came from a couple of places. Um, so first, it came from my own personal uh, reflection, which is that I generally have an attention span of about eight years, seven to eight years. <laughs> And then I get bored and I need to do something else. So, so, I understand. I relate. I relate. (laughs) Go ahead, though. Uh, You know, some people change jobs. I change missions, right? So, um, that was the first thing. But the second thing was, you know, I spent some time uh, as an investor, and in particular, an investor in technology companies. And One of the things that I observed uh, during that time was that there are very few companies in the technology world that have what I would call a second act. Um, You know, companies are usually formed to go after a specific opportunity that the founders have identified, and then they build themselves up and they build the organizations and the products and so on and so on to go go after that and, and hopefully are successful. But you very rarely see an organization that is able to, you know, five, 10 years in say, okay, here's a new opportunity that we're going to go after that is not, you know, super adjacent to what we already do and be successful. Um, And, you know, there's a few exceptions to that. You know, certainly Apple has done it. Uh, Amazon has done it as they've gone from selling books to, you know, doing AWS and creating the Kindle and Alexa and all those kinds of things. 
But the list is really, 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 really short. And I think the reason for that is that it's very hard, and it's a little bit the innovator's dilemma, right? Which is organizations get built to do one thing, and it's and and they end up with all this legacy stuff that prevents them from doing what needs to be done to really pursue a new mission or a new opportunity effectively. Like we don't want to upset our existing customers. It might cannibalize our, our products. And, and, and fundamentally what it usually boils down to is it's not necessarily the same team that is the right team to do the new thing. And so I was very aware of that. And I said, look, if I want to continue my mission, you know, continue doing something after we solve the K-12 broadband problem, I think I'd be better off stopping and starting again and building from scratch with the right team without the constraints that we would have had as Education Superhighway. So uh, talk a little bit about then what Connect K through 12 would be and what you, ex- what you hope for the future. Yeah. When, uh, when we decided that we were going to sunset the organization uh, about two and a half years ago, when we actually said, you know, we actually think we can sunset the organization uh, in 2020. We spent a lot of time thinking about what needed to survive us. Uh, you know, this isn't the end for broadband in schools. They need to keep upgrading. Um, there's a one megabit per student goal that that needs to be hit. And uh, and we said, well, what what are the things that need to be in place for that to happen? And as we thought about it, we kept coming back to our data. And specifically, we said, you know, we need our data to continue to exist that tracks what every school district is buying for their internet access. And we need that for two reasons. Number one, we need to continue to hold accountable policymakers at the federal and state level and school district leaders for achieving the one megabit per student goal. But number two, we need to make sure that school districts can still find better deals for their broadband dollars so that they can achieve the one megabit per student goal without having to spend a lot more money. And and we realized that that meant we had to keep our data around because that would allow us to do both of those things. And so our hope is that, you know, look, it, it took us eight years to, well, I guess five years from the time that the FCC set the goal of 100 kilobits per student. And our hope is that we can now get the nation uh, through the Connect K-12 project, we can enable the nation to get to that one megabit per student goal, which is really important because it allows technology to be used in every classroom every day by students and teachers for learning. And it's frankly even more important today in the pandemic when we're going to have a situation where teachers are essentially broadcasting from every classroom in a school building their classes every day so that the kids who can't be there can can watch. And and so that's really our vision for Connect K-12, that the data on who's buying what from whom and at what price, and the data on what percentage of our school districts are meeting that one megabit goal, and and the data on exactly which school districts aren't, so that states, governors, state departments of education, and Connected Nation can help them find those deals and motivate them to upgrade so that they do meet those goals. 
And it's a lot different than 2012. People now understand why that's important, especially considering what's happened this year. That's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, Evan, is there anything that you think we should have touched on today that we did not? Well, you know, the 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 big change, one of the big changes that we see going on right now as a result of the pandemic is that uh, for the first time, school districts and state leaders are understanding that if they're going to offer, they're going to fulfill their obligations to offer a free and equitable education to all, they need to make sure that every student has internet access in their home. And we're really encouraged by this because the reality is that all the families that haven't had internet access, it's not because they didn't want it. It's because they couldn't afford it or because there was no service available near them. But by far, the vast majority of it is because they, they couldn't afford it. And with the pandemic and the job losses and everything else, that situation's only gotten worse, not better. And so, you know, the thing I would say is I think school districts and states are starting to step up and say, this is our responsibility. Um, that is a sea change. And what I'm only hopeful for is that the federal government will step up and realize its responsibility to make sure that school districts and states can afford to do that, especially in the midst of all of the things that they have to do to get ready to have kids back at school in terms of social distancing and cleaning and, and, and everything else. So um, I think we're at a moment where there's a real opportunity to meaningfully close the digital divide for children across America, and I hope we don't squander it. Well, I can't finish this podcast any better than that. That is a good point. And I'm sure there are many parents who would agree with you. And I know our producer, uh, Wes Kerr, his wife is a teacher and I've talked with her and she would concur with that as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to thank our guest today, his Evan Marwell, who is the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise and your thoughts on such important issues. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We discussed several projects that can help school connectivity in kids at home. I'll share links to the websites for each of those in the description of this podcast. I'm Jessica Denson. Thanks for listening to Connected Nation. If you like our show and want to know more about us, head to connectednation.org or look for the latest episodes of Connected Nation on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Pandora, or Spotify.